okay, what is it that you really enjoy doing and what are you good at? And if you really dive deep into that area and identify some things that you do creatively, it helps to show you that it's not about making art. It's about how you use the knowledge that you already have to kind of solve problems for yourself on a daily basis. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. And my name is Dr. Matthew Wurwood. This is the Fueling Creativity and Education podcast. On this show, we'll be talking about creativity topics and how they apply to the field of education. We'll be speaking with scholars, educators, and resident experts about their work, challenges they face, and digging deeper into new and varying perspectives of creativity. All with the goal to help fuel a more rich and informed discussion that provides teachers and parents with knowledge they can use at home or in the classroom. So let's begin. Today, we welcome to the podcast, Vincent Andrews. Vincent works primarily as a humanities instructor and high school art teacher. He is also a creativity life coach working with individuals to reach their individual goals. He's a veteran of the Air Force, a visual artist, and a former professional chef. He's currently pursuing his PhD in educational studies. Vincent is extremely interested in cultivating creativity in education and in organizations, and his research is focused on identifying creative aptitude with specific domains. So welcome to the show, Vincent Andrews. Yeah, thank you. It's great to have you here. So Vincent, we were talking before we got started about your interesting background of careers. What led you into the area of creativity in education? Um, I think specifically it's been my interest in evolution through the arts. When I, when I first started school, it was, I was kind of going back and forth between architecture and art. And I think as a kid, I always wanted to be an architect because it was always associated with making more money than, than an artist. Um, but I definitely had a tremendous interest in the arts. Um, so when I originally went to undergrad, um, I went to Notre Dame because it was like the number one classical architecture school um, in the United States. Um, but I ended up switching back to art and I figured I can go back to architecture school later. And I, I felt like I had some art left in me. Um, and then once I, I graduated, I, I went to University of Miami. They were number two in classical architecture. And it was kind of at that point that I realized like I loved art and I needed to find a way to make it work. Um, so I left school there. I moved overseas to New Zealand. And throughout this whole time, I'm like trying to figure out, okay, how can I use art? And, and, and I ultimately figured out if, if I can't do it myself, um, the least I can do is, is teach it to kids. And at that point, I was kind of thinking it'd be interesting to start like a creativity-based summer camp, um, a space where you can just have kids out for the summer and they can literally go out and create whatever it is they feel like they want to do. And once I moved back to the United States, um, I joined the Air Force so that it could help fund me going back to art school. Um, and ultimately, I, I knew I would most likely fall into like an education-based role simply because I was interested in summer camps. But I knew that was probably the only job that would give me the flexibility to to do something like that over the summer. You know, Vincent, we've spoken a lot about interests and passions. And listening to that story, it makes me wonder whether you had a passion and interest and life took you away from those passions and interests, but you just never felt complete. And so you kept going back to them. And then eventually you work to establish a life to make sure that they are at the core of, of everything it is that you do. 
Yeah, I think, especially going to Notre Dame, which is a big liberal arts school, I think the humanities just really transformed, like, my outlook um, on life. And and I kind of figured out that it was more important. Like you said, I think it was difficult. And I talk about even my humanities class that I, I teach now, that, like, we live in all these structural capitalistic forms of society like education from work basically we grew up and they and they tell us you go to school you go to college you get married you have kids you accomplish whatever you're accomplishing in your professional life and retire when you're 70 80 and moving to new zealand was the first point that i realized like how formatted my thinking was and it was the first point that i had people like tell me you just need to relax because the culture and the way that people live their lives are, are different when you move out the country. Um, and it was a culture shock to me and an overwhelming experience to feel like, hey, I need to get a job right away. I need to get back in school. I need to do this. But at some point, I just sort of realized like what was really important to me and what was the core of my heart. Like I, I need to follow that. And that was probably more important than doing some of the things that I felt like I had to do. You know, if if we feel or we're perhaps told that our passions, our interests aren't necessarily going to make us as an individual successful as defined by bringing in an income, then we are quite often discouraged to continue pursuing our interests and passions and then having to kind of like change direction. And I'm just wondering, you referenced uh, architectural designer, architectural, classical architecture a couple of times. Was was that connection because you felt it, it it connected somewhat with your passions, but actually when you began studying it, it didn't? Yeah, that's actually a good point. I think growing up, I, I just remember, I recall wanting to be an architect from a really young age. And, and I think for me, I felt like it was probably one of the few opportunities that you could be like freely creative and have the opportunity to design things that actually affect people in, in real ways. I actually, I was really good when I was in architecture and it's something I'm still really passionate about. Um, but the disconnect for me, I remember being an undergrad was actually being able to just make things with my hand. When I transitioned to architecture, we were just making plans and, and designing things and you didn't really get to see, you didn't have the opportunity to see a lot of things come to fruition and to full conception other than like using AutoCAD, obviously. Um, and I continue to use AutoCAD now as a, I design my sculptures because it's a more practical way to design, especially if I'm designing really large objects. I can at least come up with the plans and try to work out some of the kinks. But yeah, definitely for me, it was getting your hands dirty. And when you have an idea and wanting to see that idea come into conception, um, architecture can take a long time to do that. And once I, I, I did get into graduate school and I was really starting to consider it professionally, um, I realized that I most likely would end up working for someone else for 10 to 15 years at the very least. Um, so you're not even necessarily able to be as creative as you would be able to be if you were designing your own spaces. So for me, that was like too much time to be able to sacrifice when I felt I was already creative and I wanted to express my, my myself in ways. It's interesting. We were just talking yesterday, Matt and I, about thinking with your hands and being able to create with your hands. So you spend so much time like reading and thinking and thinking and thinking, and that is a part of creativity, but there's also something that's sort of magical when you have that experience with your hands and you're building something. So I, I love that story and I think it really brings it to life. I'm curious, so this all led you to say, I wanna study creativity in education. So I would love to know your perspective and how you help your students bring creativity and how you bring creativity into the classroom. 
Yeah, I think one of the most interesting aspects of the creative process that I'm interested in is the whole incubation component of it. I think because education is so structural and society is so structural, like we're not used to being able to give people the space to like really think about their ideas and, and kind of let things sink in and and having the space to just be creative. Like I'm really technical because I, I think the technical component of creativity can't be understated. They have to have that underlying knowledge and a good foundation. But like I'm, I'm very perceptive to like when they're having a bad day or if they're needing to go off on a tangent or if they're needing to do something else. So my the way that my space is run, it's like really fluid and it's like kind of everybody's kind of doing their own thing because I want them to feel confident and I want them to feel like there's not a lot of pressure to create and make things. I think in the beginning, I kind of start off and it is more rigorous and I'm teaching them like the fundamentals of drawing and we're kind of working our way through it. But I'm just trying to build their confidence so that they're brave enough to attempt to do some of the things that we might do later in the year. Um, so yeah, definitely for me, it's how do I give them space or in my research, like what does incubation look like or should or could look like in education? Is it like a day off every week that they kind of like bring all their ideas and interests together and they're able to do whatever they want to do? Is it like a summer based curriculum where they go to a creativity camp? I think it's a lot of different ways to do it, but we just, we, I think we, it's important that we explore that more because we're not used to giving kids space. We just, we're content driven and, and test driven. And we just want to give them as, as much information as quickly as possible. Um, and all the teacher manuals and trainings that we talk about, it's like, how do you make your class the most efficient and don't waste any time and teach them every second of your class period. Um, but sometimes it's, they need to work out some of these things on their own. And I can see art educators who are listening to the show thinking, okay, I could build in time, but what do you recommend for teachers? And I know this is a, a particular area of interest for you as well, which is teachers who are outside of the artistic domain. So how do you bring creativity in and what does that look like in other domains? Um, I think the, the same way, I think it's, it's going to be tied to incubation. And especially when you look at math, science, kind of like the literature classes, they're not, they're definitely not used to doing it in those areas. And in, in the art areas, we have more freedom to, to do things like that. But the goals and the focus are always around test scores. So they're the ones who are definitely more content driven um, than the art is. So for me, it's like if you can give some space, like you can teach the information, but try to work in some time that some the kids can maybe do some group projects or build some things related to whatever it is that they're doing. Um, if it's a, a writing class, like how often are kids able to just write on something of their own interest versus just having to read material and, and copy it and talk about Senate structure and all these types of things. Um, I, I think it sinks in a lot more when you start, when you talk about building things or, or you come up with some practical application of ways to use that information and in ways that's not just based off of their test scores. You know, just listening to that response, I think it, it does make me wonder as you're kind of sharing these examples, is that those teachers who are working in a domain where there is an opportunity to use your words, to apply the knowledge to, to a project, to apply the knowledge to a problem that is less defined, then incubation is actually essential. 
So in those particular classes, you know, is there like a timestamp on, on how long a student might need to incubate? For, for example, you know, I, I noticed a huge difference in my class where, you know, we typically start the project at the end of October. I would share the project a couple of weeks before we start, but then I changed that procedure and actually shared the project on the first day of class, which would be the end of August or early September, and kind of built in opportunities for them to talk through their ideas at the end of class, five minutes here, five minutes there. And it made a huge difference. Yeah, I think that's a great example. And in, in incubation, yeah, it's definitely not just a matter of just necessarily giving them free space. Like you, like you said, it can be done in so many ways. It can be done in group projects. It can be done in reflection. Some kids might have enough reflection just over the weekend that they don't really need to do it. And and some are more creatively proficient in these areas. But like you said, I think it's just every every couple of days, like stopping and giving them the space to work through some issues that aren't well-defined that they have to kind of think through. Um, I think it comes to like Socratic methods of teaching, which I, I taught in a classical school, and I thought that was one of the most effective things we did was teaching kids how to inquire about things, how to ask questions. Um, that's also a huge component of the creative process. It's you, you can't really be creative. I don't think if you, if you aren't able to well define, and that's why I'm specifically looking at these other domains because like, why is it art and music are, are the, the only ones normally associated with creativity? And it's because typically we give them more space in those areas. Um, but if we can figure out ways to do it within the other domains, and I think it's possible Part of my argument for my research is you don't even need fine arts to cultivate creativity. There's just so many powerful things that we can do and and we can really alter the way that we we think and, and develop our students moving into the future. So what experiences do you think are critical to cultivating creativity in the classroom? Like I said, I, I think the content knowledge is a big part of it. having a good foundation. You like need to have a pretty thorough knowledge of whatever information it is then I think there's like an interdisciplinary component to it as well. So generally once you learn something really well, I think creativity happens when your ideas kind of merge with sometimes another domain, but maybe a new idea of something you just learned. Um, I think that's kind of when the spark goes off. But but then I think incubation, it, for some, some people can be creative without much incubation at all, but some need to kind of be coaxed into it. And, and they just need the space to not be like so consumed with technology and everything, all the problems that are going on, going on around them. Like some, even now, I, it's really hard for me to slow my brain down and not think about all the things that I have to do and things I have to write and, and family life and all these things. So at least once a year, I'll like turn off technology and turn off my computer and put my phone away and, and try to just like just be it myself. And it takes me a couple of days for my brain to still to slow down because it's just so much going on around us. But I think I mean, all those things in different levels in some way impact creativity. And I don't it's nothing that you can do can like be an absolute thing that's going to work for everyone. But I think everybody kind of have to figure figure out what their flow is for themselves and at the very least learn or know whatever it is they know and, and be able to identify problems within those areas. Um, as I looked into that, uh, I think I'd been researching Feist and he had like identified or he, he made this argument that people are generally, they have an aptitude usually in one or two domains that they can be highly proficient creatively. They made me wonder 
why is that or is that simply the case and i think it's really only the case because people are good at one thing and and they're used to asking questions in that one area and they're not so we don't really teach uh, for inquiry um, as much as probably we should but i'm like maybe you can be more creative in other domains if you just learn how to ask questions in those fields and it makes it more interesting for kids to not just listen to math equations and say, I need to learn to follow this process and do it this way and test on it and, and I'm done. But what are some problems that you can identify within those equations and, and why do they exist? And is there a better way to do it type of thing, giving them the opportunity to work through that to really alter the way they see or what we consider to be truth, absolute truth, really. So Vincent, for those teachers who are listening out there, what advice would you give to them to help tap into their own creativity? Yeah, this is an aspect of my research that I'm trying to see if I'll go more into it because I'm like, there's already so many initiatives for teaching students creativity. Like I did identify the problem, like we can't really implement any of these things if there isn't buy-in from administrators and teachers. So there is like a whole training component of like what creativity looks like that teachers and administrators should know and really understand the impact of for them to like really buy into it and implement it and realize that it's not this whole other domain or discipline that teachers have to do on top of their work, but it can be something that can be tied into the way they do it. So I'm really interested in training teachers on like what it actually looks like, which I talked about how to identify it through the domains, but even art teachers um, don't really, most art teachers don't have a thorough knowledge of the creative process. They, they might have a, some knowledge of their own creative process. I, I think if, if, if it were a part of like professional development or tied to teacher training requirements as, as far as licensure goes, I think it could be really important to, to show teachers like this is the, the thing that you should be teaching kids to, to focus on, not necessarily just the content, because they're going to get careers where they have to make decisions. And if we want to be an innovative country or or global economy, um, it's important that people have creative confidence and that they understand how it is. Um, so a lot of my research is on the pro- the problems associated with how do we how do we make it to an innovative a more innovative state if people aren't empowered or if they don't understand creativity or if they don't realize that they have their own potential of creativity outside of the handful of people who Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg and all these people wealthy people who are creative um, but they pretty much dominate the fields of creativity and we kind of just fall in line and take jobs and not see our own creative potential. When I was doing my dissertation, I was kind of thinking around this concept of teacher creativity. And to me, it was kind of like really mind baffling of how much energy we put toward promoting creativity in the classroom from students. Yet we don't really think about promoting and celebrating teacher creativity. So if we consider that as less important or it's not a priority, then why would we have an expectation that the teachers would then prioritize that in their classroom environment? It was really weird. And I noticed that innovation was a word that we typically would see more in the literature. But then the other piece of it is is within teacher change as well. There was so much that I read around the concept of teacher change. I was like, okay, well, this this is kind of like creativity, but we don't use the word. And so what I'm curious to you is like, are some words more inviting than others? I mean, it's interesting, this concept of change, but if I'm being told to change all the time, I'm not going to respond well to that. But technically I'm asking, I'm being asked to just constantly be creative. 
creativity is associated with, I think, more with wasting time and and just making things that may or may not be of value to other people. Um, but when I mean, they definitely use more terms like "oh, innovation" or "change," and and I, and I don't know why we haven't made the connection yet. I'm actually I'm doing a creativity graduate certificate. I'm at Sabre University, and I was just talking to a faculty member there, and he was saying they're about to change the name of their degree to like creativity and innovation because people just aren't seeing it as as valuable when it's just uh, creative creativity studies. So it is kind of interesting how, and then a lot of the creativity-based programs that I, I researched before I started my PhD at Leslie, they all have to do with like business and innovation and all these things that we consider to be extremely important. But it's funny how we're still not really teaching it in a way that people understand it. I also think that the word change scares a lot of teachers because, you know, especially when you look at seasoned teachers who've been around, you know, for a few decades and you say, okay, we're going to change or, we're, you know, creativity is about change. It, it's intimidating because you don't know th- there's ambiguity and complexity that comes with change. But I, I think what we need to focus on is the incremental change, the evolution that happens as a result. Yeah, I think I think even change scares parents, and that's why we see a lot of things going on politically now. And and as I argue for creativity, I'm like it's, it's probably one of the least controversial things that you could argue because everybody understands the importance of creativity. But it's one of those things you know you will have to fight for because we hate to see change to things that we've been doing for hundreds of years already. But I'm like, at the very least, that's that's the power of creativity is that there can be incremental change and it doesn't have to change overnight. But things do change and we need people to, to be creatively confident for it to actually happen. Well, Vincent, this was a great conversation and I really appreciate you coming on today and giving us your time. So we end every episode with three tips that you would provide to educators who want to bring creativity into the classroom. So what three tips would you recommend? Three tips that I'd recommend is like deep, deep dive into like what creativity actually is. Like just look into it. It's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of resources out there that you can use for implementing into your classrooms look into your lesson plans and see see ways that you can incorporate it in on a daily basis not just once every blue moon because you can really you can empower your kids and make them think in a lot of different ways um i guess the last tip that i would give is really show your kids like what creativity means and and how they can use it on a daily basis and show them that it just it doesn't just apply to the art classroom and the art that they make um, but it's something that can can guide them throughout their futures and, and the problems that, that they have as, as they adapt and grow professionally. So Vincent, thank you so much for this discussion. I wish you all the best as you kind of continue to work on that PhD. And I look forward to all of the new knowledge that you're going to bring to the field as a consequence of your work. As a reminder, if you've got any questions about this episode, past episodes, future episodes, or potentially uh, guests that you think we should connect with in the future, you can reach out to Cindy and I using the email address questions at fuelingcreativitypodcast.com. And if you're interested in learning more about creativity, we encourage you to go back to season one and listen to Marta Davidovich talk about definitions of creativity. It will give you a great overview of the different ways in which we look at creativity and think about your own way in which you define creativity. My name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. And my name is Dr. Matthew Woward. 
This podcast was produced by Creativity and Education and in partnership with dadsforcreativity.com. Our editor is Sina Yousafzadeh.